begin in a waiting room. It is rectangular, with a higher roof than one would expect, and a fine scorched maroon carpet contrasted oddly with the bare walls of wood and stone, creating an atmosphere that is once opulent and oppressive at the same time. A sterile smell blows softly in from an open window, alongside the distant sound of machines. There are six of your number in total. You are seated, and you are seated, as they insisted for the first for the human is inconvenient. In silence, on a line of wooden chairs, cushioned superficially with cloth, but unrelenting beneath. At the back, the wood protrudes just slightly, making it impossible for you to relax your posture fully. To the left of you is a doorway, and in front of you is a peculiar contraption that seems to consist of an orchestra in miniature, the small selection of hand-sized instruments somehow automated. They are playing a baroque piece that you faintly recognize, but something about it is off in a way you struggle to properly enunciate. Perhaps the violin is in the wrong key, or the horns is improperly synchronized, playing slightly faster than the rest, growing ever more dissonant. It gnaws at you. Also have in view of a stately wall clock, what a fine wood. It ticks just loudly enough to be audible over the music. The time is 3.15pm. Your appointment is in 15 minutes. Of the six people sitting at the at the chairs, the first is a... Actually, who wants to go first? Yeah, so so uh, the person sitting uh, in the first chair is, is a completely average-looking uh, human person. You can't really tell what gender they are. Um, like, a little more on the masculine side. Uh, very, like, very, like, handsome face, like, you know, like, short, short black hair, um, like, big glasses, uh, wearing a, a medical uniform, actually, of the office, um, that you're here to see. And they have a, they have a very, like, distinct, like, sharp nose, but, like, kind of a friendly, like, gentle, like, warm expression. Um, so, uh, this person's name is Claude, and, uh, they're here to keep an eye on this, frankly, really, really weird group of people, um, while they're waiting. Very good. And who is sitting in the second chair? Sitting in the second and third chairs on the bench (laughs) is, uh, a strange construction, an ancient artist's conception of a lion in stone and bronze with a mane made out of small bronze plates that are gently swaying back and forth as if as if trying to match the beat of the song halfway and trying to ignore it in the other. They don't really seem to respond to much aside from just being very frustrated at attempting to sit on these tiny little chairs as they are very large and their head is nearly touching the ceiling of this admittedly cramped location from oppressively cramped from their perspective as they are considerably bigger than anyone else here their name is seven eight as far as they can remember and they are uh, pretty good at waiting and watching very good and who is sitting in the third chair uh, sitting in the third chair next to 7-8 is a tiny purple goblin girl named Aisma Relicary. Uh, she has a crown of horns over her head, pointy elf ears, a mouth that is full of too many teeth, um, and she is wearing a red pajamas onesie with a little red devil tail. Oh dear. This poor thing. Um, she is only three feet tall, so she actually like had to be lifted up into this chair. Um, so her feet, like, just barely hang over the edge, and she's kind of kicking them in the air impatiently. And who then is sitting in the fourth chair? Sitting on the op- next to uh, Aisma 
is a tall figure in completely in quotes, except for a mask, which resembles uh, a gas mask that kind of resembles a uh, insect face, and with uh, some uh, uh, antenna also poking out. They are this figure is not said a word since they entered the room, and has just been quietly watching over the small, uh, uh deep child. <laughs> Probably is the one that helped her into the chair. Very good of her. This is, this character, this is Zara, who is, as of right now, through some way or another, become the bodyguard for this, uh, this, this rambunctious youth. And who then is sitting in the fifth chair? Well, because we have a nice, big, small, big, small pattern going, it's Bartleby, Otto Clark. Bartleby basically looks like if somebody tried to make a stocky robotic halfling without knowing what halflings look like, and that where legs would go, there's just a big hand that walks on the fingertips, like the thing from Adam's family. And where the left arm would be, there's just three long, triple-jointed, spindly arms that are just always moving and touching everything, scouring for scraps. And so Bartleby's not so much sitting in the chair as just gripping it with his giant melon-sized fist. And Bartleby, like Aizma, is three feet tall. Where are the little ones? Very good. As well as the creaking noise, the music is growing increasingly dissonant to the point that it's starting to become unbearable. It is now nine minutes until your appointment. Oh my gosh! You think they'll be mad if I touch the machine? I don't like it. They will be mad. Okay. Can I touch it anyway? It's avant-garde. One of the uh, small little hands starting to play the vi- trying to play the violin starts instead tapping at the surface below it in increasing speed. Violins don't play on the wood part, right? Uh, let me check on that, actually. <laughs> I think uh, I think Claude is going to get up because I mean surely this must be malfunctioning. Uh, that's probably a fairly good bet to make. You're going to go inspect the machine then. Yeah. Are you going to be using one of your professions to do this? Uh, Claude knows absolutely nothing about machinery. But he does know something about how this machine probably operates. Uh, Azma also knows nothing about machines, but she is an impish child who cannot sit still and will obviously follow Claude over to the machine. Oh, oh, uh. Uh, if you could stay seated, you, you, uh, it would be really wonderful. Um, you know, if you could stay seated. Uh, she starts, uh, taking the bow from the broken violin. Uh, 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 Claude does not actually make any motions to stop this child. (laughs) (laughs) Just seems like they, they are, like, afraid to, to touch her. Okay. In that case, I'm just going to continue breaking the music machine. Oh, God. <laughs> Until I touch something iron that hurts me, because Faye can't touch iron. Uh, you thought it was probably going to must. Are, like, uh, brass instruments made of iron, or do they kill? I'm not actually sure. Brass I assume they're not. are made of brass. <laughs> yeah, of course okay. they are. Very, thank you for that observation. <laughs> no, it's funny. No, but would you still like to inspect it yourself while this is happening, Claude, or are you retreating completely from the situation? I guess I... I guess I should do my job and inspect it, huh? I, I kind of gently, very gently swat Isma's hand, hands away. You know, don't, please don't touch. 
you take a look at the you take a look at the machine first of all at the uh, instrument instrument in the top. Though you are not an engineer, you don't notice anything wrong with them. Uh, you do notice something on the lower half. Uh, you see that attached to it is the phylactery that is operating the operating the various instruments. Uh, most of the machines like this usually operate used on used on a based on a trained insect soul or something similar to that. They tend to only function properly for around a month before they begin to to behave erratically. This one seems as if it is approaching its limit. You can take it out to stop the machine if you want to, but that's about all you can do about a replacement. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Claude, Claude takes it out probably a little bit more forcefully than is necessary. Uh, this, this, the noises are extremely aggravating to them. You yank the the crystal out of its slot in the machine, and it imme- and the music immediately stops. The hands of every instrument uh, just either stopping where they stand or like slow, slumping down, slumping, uh, slumping uh, to the surface below. Oh, how'd you do that? Oh, you know, just uh, just take these things out. It's uh, they get a little uh, fidgety after around a month or so. You hear a slow escape of air, and Seven Eight finally just loses contact with the ceiling after about five seconds. <laughs> Claude is like smiling with, uh, like, there, there's something below the surface here. Uh, you could tell that, like, they were, they would have probably broken this thing to pieces if they'd had to to get the music stopping. <laughs> So. Um, so my only relevant mechanical profession for Aizma is Trapper. Okay. And I just have a bunch of little random musical instrument parts. So you were taking the instrument parts with you, just to be clear. Oh, of course. And I saw where the battery goes. So while Claude is distracted by 7-8, I'm going to set up a trap for the next person who installs a crystal. <laughs> I, um, that's... Just like a basic mouse trap, snap their fingers and they try to put a battery in kind of thing. Okay. You're certain about that? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Ace Mess sets up a small trap, uh, just a, a small, relatively harmless mouse trap, on the bait on the bottom of the uh, contraption, um, which I'm sure will have no negative results at all. I'm sure it'll go great and be fine. And then I guess she's gonna scurry back to her chair and like kind of climb back up into it because it's still too big for her. I feel like I should stop this. You know, you probably ought to. You are here to mind the group, and therefore you are potentially held will potentially be held responsible for anything that goes particularly amiss. I wasn't exactly sneaky about it. If you want to just undo that, <laughs> yeah, I, I would like. Sorry, I just now realized my brain is working at like half speed right now. So I'm like, huh, <laughs> I should fix that. Um, it's okay. I'm just gonna say the character is kind of an airhead. Um, so. I, you know what, actually, I think that Claude waits until Aizma's done, and then goes to dismantle it, because it would be rude to just, you know, again, he still doesn't really want to touch her, like, I don't know, kids are gross. Like, it's not even just kids, he's also a goblin, and goblins in this setting are kind of gross. I mean, look, he has nothing against goblins, to be clear, let's just get that out of the way uh, right now, alright? But uh, it's just the children thing, so um, he kind of like waits until she's sitting back down and then does not even try to disguise that he is immediately going to undo everything. Do you have a skill set related to disarming traps? Absolutely not. You are snapped by the trap as you attempt to disarm it. Fuck! 
Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Azma's giggling so much. I'm going to say that as um, this is happening, 7-8 has been watching, and at the exact moment that you end up tapping, the trap just gently pulls you up <laughs> so that it doesn't snap your finger and hurt like hell. <laughs> and then just gently sets you back. <laughs> I think it only catches like the very, like, sort of the, just the end of it. I think I think Claude still does say fuck very loudly, um, <laughs> out of surprise this time and not pain. Uh, like, grabs your fingernail and then lets go. The, the thank you. Kind of brushes himself off and uh, looks at Aisman and is like, uh, Miss, where? <laughs> I know it was, it was very well done. Um, it was very funny. It was. It, it definitely was that. Um, where are your parents? Um, is there a guardian here with you? She pulls out a little bag around her neck and pulls out two teeth. Right here. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, and then God. she puts the teeth back in the bag. That's <laughs> so much worse than it could have been. Uh, Not really. Uh, is, uh, is Zara going to say anything or involve quiet. herself in this? No, she's yeah. just going to watch. She- has probably she's probably been watching the door most of the time. Maybe sort of larger. Okay, she's uh, not. She's just tolerating Aisma's antics, then, or just keeping Aisma okay. safe from external threats, kind of guard than a keeping Aisma out of trouble. But she's mostly just watching the door, watching for any signs of any threats. Speaking of the door, uh, you are now, it's now been 15 minutes, so at just a little past 3.30, a young, apparently human woman with black hair and dressed in a formal set of robes sets out of the door. Uh, she regards the area for a moment and then walks purposefully to the musical contraption, and reaching under the table, uh, examines it for a few moments. Uh, then, after narrowing her eyes slightly and looking at your group again, um, she, replaces it, uh, she, she replaces the item that... Uh, Claude took out the small uh, me- uh, blue cube of another, and the music begins playing again, but without the previous problems. Oh, just oh, a couple new problems because two or three of the instruments are broken. Uh, she does uh, after she uh, she doesn't notice it. Um, she frowns at it for a moment, then she takes out another blue cube and attaches it to the side of the machine rather than the bottom. A few small metallic spiders come out of it, emerge from the side, and begin repairing it. Azma claps. She then turns to your group. Has there been any trouble, Mr. Caligari? Uh, uh, nope. No, uh, ever- everyone's been, uh, very well behaved, and he, like, glares at Aisma, like, <laughs> you have to back me up on this. <laughs> she giggles, but she doesn't say anything else, because that's the best possible answer you could have given. <laughs> the woman does not look entirely convinced by this, but nevertheless, she doesn't seem to care very much. She nods and says, very good. Apologies for the delay. Dr. Renault will see you now. She then leaves and heads back through the door. Okay. That's a key to get up. Yeah. Yeah, Bartleby gets up and walks over and starts examining the little spiders. Uh, the little spiders are actually attached to the machine itself by small metal cords rather than acting completely independently. 
Uh, they seem to be struggling to repair it with the machine completely without with parts missing, now that Asim has actually taken them away rather than simply breaking them. Hmm. I mean, it's not like I took them very far, they're just in a broken mousetrap on the bottom of it now. These things are not very smart. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to give them a good tug to see how well they're connected. Uh, you tug on one of the wires and it snaps off immediately. The creature falls prone. It is operating from the soul crystal based underneath the table, like on the side of the table, rather than eating each one individually. So they all share one uh, collective, quote-unquote, consciousness. Uh, I, I pick it up and carry it over to Aizma. You, you, you left the best one behind. The, these come out when you do that to these things. And I hand it. Take! Oh, you guys are going to get in real trouble pretty fast. Um, Aizma so doesn't understand Bartleby, but takes it all the same. I will, I will gladly have your little metal spider. Are you going to head through the door? Of course. Uh, um, so the yogurt- I'm pulling on Zara by her cloak, so she comes too. You head into into the next room. It is an office with a typically stately appearance, with hard wooden flooring, bookshelves, though many of the volumes look as though they've never been opened or read, lining the side, and a tall window in the back. At the center is a desk on which sits a gnomish man wearing a heavy black coat and a flamboyant white cravat, and a slim set of spectacles. He has a strangely ageless appearance with a, sh- a strangely ageless appearance with a short nose. Something of him comes across as vaguely snake-like. He seems hard at work with some paperwork and does not notice you enter. Hello! Linkson looks upwards. Yes, yes, I know you're here. Just a moment, please. Okay. (laughs) You gotta wait a moment, Zara. Don't be impatient. (laughs) He quickly resolves the paperwork he was working on, uh, setting it down on the table, and he looks up at your group, adjusting his spectacles. You're a sorry lot, aren't you? Five of you, my goodness. He gestures to uh, Bartleby in 7-8. Are these two property, or...? Uh, I'm proper. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love him! Uh, I think I think Claude is going to chime in and say, uh, explain to... I assume this person is is either Claude's boss or, like, a... Uh, To explain Claude's situation, you are just a... A lot of people lately are being... uh, a lot of students lately who have too much time on their hands are being appropriated to help with the whole plague affair, uh, which includes you, for various reasons. Yeah. So he's probably so not like your intern. official. You're, you're not like he's not like a proper boss, but you know you, but you I, would but probably I do well to him. not upset him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think Claude is going to, to kind of you know clear their throat and be like, uh, uh, no, they're they're not. Um, these two aren't anyone's property. Uh, they're they're here as, as patients, uh, just of, of their own volition, sir. He twists his lip. Is this correct, Abigail? He says to the woman. Uh, she no- uh, she nods. To the best of my knowledge, sir. He regards both Seven Eight and Bartleby for a few moments with an apparently skeptical expression on his face, idly tapping the f- his finger on his desk. Mm. Better to be safe than sorry, I should think. Abigail, run a sapiens test if you would. We shan't have repeat Professor Edward's mistake from last month. My reputation is already far too fragile to tolerate any scandal, I should think. Uh, The woman nods and then steps into the back of the room and withdraws a medium-sized, odd-looking machine from a closet. It seems to consist of two metal plates suspending horizontally a peculiar glass vessel of an asymmetrical form. Attached to one of the plates is a series of metallic wires with small clasps on the end. 
As she places the machine down on a table in the center of the room, she lifts up two. Uh, she looks towards Seven Eight and Bottleby. Step forward, please. I scuttle forward. If you insist. Can you please tell me the rough locations of the phylacteries within your bodies? I... I just met you, I'm sorry. What's a factory? <laughs> Seven Eight simply points to the chest. Uh, she attaches a metal clamp to the tether to the chest. Uh, what did Bartleby say, sorry? Oh, um... Bartleby kind of vaguely indicates to his chest, kind of sheepishly. She also attaches one to his chest as well. Um... She then turns to the machine and begins, like, messing around a bit a bit. Uh, she looks to Claude. Mr. Caligari, please help me set up the machine, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, was that for me? Yes. <laughs> that, that was for you. Yes, of course. Uh, a few moments pass, a few months pass, and eventually, with the flick of the, flick of the switch, the machine comes to life. A gentle blue light emanating uh, awkwardly and inconsistently from within the chamber, accompanied by the faintly musical whine of glass vibrating. The one presses another switch and the sound changes slightly, the light dividing into two distinct shapes instead of one. After this, she returns to the closet for a moment, this time withdrawing a set of wooden sheets. She moves over to face Bartleby and 7-8 at a mild distance, and clears her throat. For the purposes of this task, I'm going to show you a series of ten images. I would like you to answer, based on your own judgement, how much of a sense of identification you feel the subject of each image as they appear on a scale of one to ten, with one being not at all, and ten being absolutely. In the interest of producing as accurate a result as possible, I would ask you to please focus all of your attention on the images and answer as swiftly as you can, based on gut feeling rather than intellectual judgement. Do you have any questions? So, out of character I have a question as to what the word was. Was it vindication? No, I'm sorry, I spoke too fast. As she said, I would like you to answer based on your own judgement how much of a sense of ident identification you feel the subject of each image, as they appear on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being not at all and 10 being absolutely. Okay. So do you have any do you have any non, not adding character questions? Uh, negative. Seven, eight doesn't even respond to that besides just looking over at the uh, sheets and then up at her. Very well. We will now begin, she says. Mr. Calgary, please note the answers as they appear. She flips over the first board. It shows a portrait of a middle-aged orc in armor with a broadsword. His expression is stoic. Three. <sighs> Six. She flips over the second board. It shows a painting of a wolf or possibly a wild dog in a rural environment. Three. Two. She flips over the third board. It is a portrait of a clockwork with an exterior wrought into the shape of a centaur, made of a mix of iron and bronze. Free. You don't have to free roll for every answer, every question. <laughs> now, to be clear, I am using this correctly. The high numbers are are high, and the low yes, high are levels of identification for high numbers. No, like lower level levels of identification for lower numbers. Uh, seven eight actually looks down for a second, thinks about it, and answers eight. She looks over the fourth board. It is a mirror. For a moment, the wine of the glass becomes louder and more erratic. Seven. Ten. She flips over the fifth board. It shows a painting of an elderly dwarven woman in a blood-stained tunic. 
She is wounded and is clutching her face, making it impossible to see. Eight. Oh dear. Seven. She flips over the sixth board. It is a portrait of a very young goblin child of indeterminate gender. You cannot tell if they are crying or laughing. Two. Seven, eight looks momentarily at Aisma and then answers five. She flips over the seventh board. It shows a landscape painting of a scenic mountain vista. Two. Can I have that one? It's pretty. Please not interrupt the test. You see seven eight's eyes close and... Well, not close, but go out and then turn back on twice. And then just look at the uh, examiner and say... One. <laughs> <laughs> a reasonable answer. She comes over the, over the eighth board. It is a portrait of a young, red-headed human woman clad in a fancy dress. She is smiling. Eight. Four. She looks over the ninth board. It is an impossible image of a gestalt of a clockwork into human man. Metal, wood, and flesh transition awkwardly between one another all over the body. He looks confused. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> oh no! I like this hand guy. Mm. Five. She looks over the tent board. It is a blurry pit. It is a blurry image of a figure in shadow. You cannot tell if they are humanoid or animal. Hmm. Bartleby looks as distressed as a clockwork creature can look. Just, can I have that as my tin instead? <laughs> please just answer the question, please. You may choose multiple answers twice. Ten. In this case, it, it was very much a long pause because, like, what am I looking at? <laughs> Six. And one more time, she says, contradicting herself, as she flipped over an eleventh board. Once again, it is a mirror. The machine makes another strange whine. It just watches just in case to see if there's any funny business and then answers 10 again. There is no funny business. I think there is. You've changed this from base 10 to base 11, so so shall I. 11. <laughs> Plop that down as 10, please. Uh, yes. Uh, she... After putting away the plate, uh, the wooden plates, uh, she walks over to Claude and takes a look at the answer sheet, uh, then speaks to the doctor. As type 19 and 74 respectively, sure. No serious inconsistency. Uh, the gnomish man nods, uh, looking roughly satisfied. Very good, very good. In that case, I suppose that does make all five of you patients, hmm? Let me take a look to review. Names, he says. I am Aisma Relicary. Sarah. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's pulling you out your here. microphone. That was <laughs> Zara says from inside of a cave. I'm wearing, <laughs> but it was for her gas wearing a mask. Oh, right. yeah. okay. It's immersive. I get it. But, uh... <laughs> Literally immersive. Uh, seven, eight. There is a hyphen. Bartleby, no hyphen. What, you do not you need to give your name, Mr. Caligari. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. 
<laughs> he adjusts his glasses again. You're all scheduled for a full diagnosis? Oh, dear, dear. All of you? I don't know. Uh, presumably at least someone is aware of what Asim is doing here, uh, considering she... Uh, my assumption is Zara took me here. Yes. Um. Zara just seemed like the adult. Well, I mean, <laughs> in the sense that she literally is an adult. Uh, I. She is literally the adult in the room. Okay. They probably did a very rudimentary check on you uh, to see if you have basic symptoms, which I assume you do. Uh, I think that Zara's thinking was, there seems to be something wrong with us, so... Yeah. I believe, I heard the doctors fix that. Uh, the doctor sighs, if you'd been here just a couple weeks ago, perhaps, but I'm afraid we're getting so many patients now that even performing the basic tests on those who aren't showing yet is starting to become hard to justify, even if it is technically still a matter of academy policy. He raises an eyebrow. I'm assuming you're all here because you're planning to receive your treatments through our labor program, rather than financing it yourself. He says the phrase labor program like it's a dirty word. I think so. That's what we're doing, right, Zara? The, the labber thing? Money is... short. Yeah, Claude is just being completely silent at this point. <laughs> like... I'm the only loud person in a group full of quiet people. <laughs> the man is just looking at your group with a sort of terse expression. Um, this won't do at all, I'm afraid. I can't sign off it in good conscience. It would take up resources where they're needed vitally elsewhere. Perhaps you want to make another appointment when you're stage two, although at this rate I'm not sure how things will be next month. How would I take your vital resources, huh? Excuse me? He looks up at Ace with a vaguely... Yeah, be offended. My goodness, you're a precocious child, aren't you? Yeah! <laughs> I'm precocious. Claude is trying really hard not to laugh. <laughs> Zora rests a hand on a shoulder. The man looks as eager to get you out of the offices as quickly as possible. Uh, uh, and so he tightens his lip and says, mm, I'll tell you what. We'll bring forward your assessment a bit. Do some separation of the wheat from the chaff, as they say. I put a more mature group to a task yesterday and they don't seem to have returned. Perhaps here you could take their place and, if you're and see if you're made of sterner stuff. Then maybe I could bump you up a bit. Any objections? State your case. Uh, the man doesn't seem... The man looks... Uh, as soon as you express like any kind of agreement, the man seems to completely like, divorce himself from the situation in front of him. Abigail, please take them down to the elevator. See if they have better luck attending to Professor Ilyax's project. That will be all, please. Okay. I... That... That's not everything. That will be all, please. The man repeats. <laughs> if you would follow me, please. Uh, the woman who has been repeatedly identified as Abigail says to your group. If we do, then what? Come on, handman, let's go. And she's gonna grab Bartleby by his big hand and pull him along. Uh, uh, 
Okay. Uh, it appears you have been conscripted for some matter of uh, matter of task on behalf of the academy, though they are not giving you very much information yet. They don't seem to hold your presence here in very high regard. Alright, so where is Abigail taking us? I assume to an elevator. Yes. Uh, you are led back into the hallway and then down the stairs for a long corridor. Eventually you come to an elevator. With a sharp clank, the woman pulls the gate firmly shut and pulls a lever in the side of the compartment. A loud riding noise fills your ears. So, what was the doctor's name again? Uh, Dr. Renault. Dr. Renault, okay. Uh, 7-8 goes ahead and pulls out a small, ragged notebook with not many pages remaining in it, and pulls out a small piece of graphite, small from their perspective, and starts writing in it. And if anyone looks over, they'll end up seeing what appears to be, um, Dr. Renault's rather... <sighs> what, what am I looking for? Um... Sucks. Not not helpful, rather precautious child. <laughs> Give him a bad Yelp review. I hope that I hope that this is this is Seven Eight's death note. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, but from their perspective, this is very a very young and very um out of their depth person who doesn't seem to understand their proper place. Okay, um, well, uh, as you descend, uh, downward, uh, in the dimly illuminated chamber, uh, Abigail says, My apologies if any of you are confused. Dr. Renault is a very busy man and is often somewhat overwhelmed by the amount of cases he is dealing with lately. Uh, he may be veering slightly off recommended, uh, treatment of patients. I... Yeah, he's treating my patients. <laughs> to be clear, uh, you all signed up for this, pro uh, for this, knowing you would be on the, on the assumption you have some combat experience, or our willingness to engage in combat. Yes, I am specifically trained in defense. And yes, Azma pulls out a really twisted-looking ritual dagger. Yeah, I'll stab a guy. I can do it. I've done it before. It's very encouraging, she says. I've not, but I'm open to trying new things. Oh my god. <laughs> Always open for a learning experience. Yeah. Me and Zara made a bandit into soup on our way here. And I ate soup. We already have so much in common. The loud grinding noise abruptly stops as you hit the ground with a, th with a unpleasant thump, and you arrive what in what appears to be an underground tunnel. Uh, the woman leads your party forward. I will take a moment to explain the situation, she says. Uh, please feel free to speak up if you have any questions. You don't have any questions already, do you? Considering that we're not sure why we're actually down here, I think seven-eighths would be... What are we expected to do? You will be doing. You will be hunting something uh, on behalf of the academy. We'll be heading into the. We'll be heading into Winwick on High Fallow. This tunnel. The tu these tunnels run all through the center, through the hill in the center of the city. They lead to every district. It's a, an agreement arrangement we made at the city council. So what are we hunting? 
she takes a moment, she reaches into her, into her uh, coat and withdraws some notes of her own, reviewing them for a moment before speaking. You may be aware of a recent nuisance that has been occurring in the city. Unlicensed mages have been producing distasteful things that the common folk have turned to calling cherubs. Their artificial creatures with insect-like biology produced at low cost and meant to crudely resemble human children while dressed, but they don't hold up to any close scrutiny. Most of them have very low-grade souls, either artificed outright or taken from spiders. And they're used for petty robbery, begging, scavenging, carrying messages, anything where appearing like a child on first glance would be an advantage. They've been starting to bother some important people of late, so the Academy has been looking into a means to cull their numbers. Well, Professor Ulaix, um, the doctor mentioned him earlier, from our essential biosemesis department created a prototype that could act as a solution. Though the cherubs are scripted to flee from most humans or animals that would do them harm, the work is very simplistic and purely conditional. If anything attacks them that they're not made to view as a threat by default, they'll just stand there and do nothing. So the professor created a Trojan horse of sorts, one that would resemble one of their number and that could dispatch them easily. Do you have any inquiries so far? Am I gonna dress up like one of them and stab them? That's entirely your prerogative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in any case, at first the endeavor seemed to be an overwhelming success. The thing took down just shy of a hundred in, in its first week. But something must have gone wrong with its design, because about a week ago it attacked an actual child. Oh, we're stopping the haunter, not the haunted. Okay. That is correct. Isma was ready to discuss have children. Yeah, she was. <laughs> well, robot children, they're not real. What? <laughs> they're sort of not quite robots. Like, is they're completely biological? Beetle children. Wait, no, that's not good either. Hmm. Yeah, they're, uh... As she continues, since then, its behavior has become completely erratic. It won't respond to command phrases and has strayed far from its original area of operation. Oh, you do see where this is going at this point, I trust. Yeah. We gotta stop it. Uh, she, uh, you begin approaching the end of the tunnel. You can see the light of the sunlight uh, coming in overhead. Uh, she says, that's correct. We'd like you to track it down and kill it on sight, and recover the soul for post-mortem if you can. It's of an interesting design, a gestalt of a cat and a praying mantis, with some minor modifications or so I'm given to understand. Uh, Aizma starts tugging on Zara's cloak. That sounds so cool! I want to keep it. Sounds familiar. She... I like how you're all just accepting this nightmare scenario where there's like a... Oh, n- never mind. Let's keep going. <laughs> I mean, look at the crowd. I think we all have our reasons, but Aespa's pretty chill with monsters. Claude is okay. literally in this department. He's like, oh, I probably made one of those. It's in this Or helps with it or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of which, Mr. Kaliar, take this if you please. Uh, she hands you two objects. Mm-hmm. The first is very sim- uh, very familiar to you. It is a pneumatic condenser used for extra- extracting souls from deceased creatures. It is a relatively sing- simple rectangular contraption that looks like a strangely colored metal plate attached to a long glass tube with some odd mechanisms at the bottom, uh, sort of like a hook. Okay. She also hands you another, another, another item, a pneumatic extrapolator, that can determine the type of soul a creature possesses to a reasonable level of accuracy. It only works on touch. It looks like a rod of a dial on the end. Okay. She uh, turns to the. Do you have? Does your group have a leader? It's me. This, she just speaks. She looks skeptical about this. Just kind of. 
looks to anybody else, see if anyone's going to speak up to say that she's not the leader. I'm in charge. Bartleby points all of his hands at everyone except Aisma. <laughs> How dare you? Zara, you seem to be pretty in uh, control of your wits. I'm trained for hunting. All of those hands point to Zara. Well, then for this task, I suppose you would be the most qualified. Hmm. Aisma pouts, but she doesn't, like, protest. Uh, she hands, uh, Azar a chart. In the event that you become separated from Mr. Caligari, this should help you interpret the readings of the machine. Uh, uh, wait, uh, I will help them interpret the... Yes, you, you will, you will interpret the... You, I did give it to you for a no, reason. No, but you mean, oh, uh, I, you mean that I'm going with them. Yes, you are, you are to evaluate, you are there, you are to evaluate their performance. You were told this much, weren't you? Uh, I was told now <laughs> just just now at this moment um you're not scared of the cat mantis are you no of course not sounds like you're scared of the cat mantis that's not that's not the issue i think i think you I are think not required of the cat to mantis. engage in combat she says uh sounding a little tired you may keep okay. your distance and merely make notes if anything happens you are free to leave the scene okay all right uh as soon as she says that, you know, he's not expected to engage in combat, um, he relaxes a little bit, but still, like, is, is just kind of, like, looking at each member of this group and, like, slowly looking. It looks like he, like, starts aging in real time. Like. <laughs> Finally, the tunnel gives way to open air. At some point while you were moving, it must have begun raining, as droplets are falling heavily from overhead as you leave, just starting to form puddles in the street. You're in the city slum of Wimwick on Highfallow. Old, stately buildings half left to, co- left to rot contrast very basic wooden homes and other structures, in an assembly that looks a little, a little better than a shanty town. There's a smell of filth in the air, along with a distant scent of ammonia coming from places unknown. Aizma pulls her hood up to cover from the rain, except her hood has a bunch of holes in the top where her horns poke out, so it's useless against stopping the rain from getting on her head. <laughs> oh god, that's so sad. Everything about this one is just so sad. Part of Bartleby's kit he gets is a change of clothing, which he obviously cannot wear as he's Urwap made of hands. And so I just fish through and just find a, a shirt that works and just plop it on Aisma's head. No. It's not a hood, but it'll it'll absorb things to keep it off your terrible little head. Thanks! Claude is probably like a, like a civilized, like, well-off person, so he probably has an umbrella, I assume. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Would not be caught without one in the rain. That's fair. Actually, actually, I'm sorry. I've just decided a really important piece of cod lore right now, which is that um, they they steal other people's umbrellas, <laughs> and it's not that they can't <laughs> afford them. It's just for the rush of it. Of that's like their one. That's their one like, criminal only method of oh, rebellion. only one that they casually steal from the umbrella yeah, dropbox. Yeah, the umbrella dropbox. They always just like take one. And it's it's just for the thrill. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, somewhere in the middle uh, of that, Seven Eight has finished putting on their very large poncho, so someone else now has a large mobile umbrella in the shape of Seven Eight, if they should so choose to stand under. Thank you. The creature was last active in this area. Abigail says. Track it down however you please, though I must insist that it is vital to eliminate it on site, as we cannot risk this matter becoming overly public. 
Kill the creature, and I'm confident the, the doctor will escalate your treatment to be considered a greater priority. Okay. Mm. She looks at her at her, at her uh, pocket watch. Do you have any other questions? How how long is shall we take? How long? Excuse me? When shall we return? Whenever you're done. How big is it? Because I mentioned earlier, the creature is designed to imitate a child. Um, I'm not familiar with the precise details of its physicality. I know that it is capable of changing its appearance to some degree, lengthening hair and distorting facial features, but obviously only to a point. This small in size is capable of growing larger in response to a threat, I believe. Uh, to kill cherubs efficiently, it was given a poisonous bite, and I do understand it to be rather strong for its size, but that's about all I can say. What distinguishes from real child? Probably the poisonous fangs. Any close examination of the face will distinguish a cherub from a real child. They appear much more like insects, uh, no offense intended. Mm. Uh, with, you'll see it'll become obvious when you look closely at them. Uh, for this example in particular, uh, the torso is extremely thin, almost non-existent, no rib cage, covered up only by clothing. Well, so was the, the so I was informed. All right. Let's go, and Zara, or not Zara, you're Zara, I'm Aizma. Aizma takes out her ritual dagger, points it forward, and just starts marching, and assumes everyone will come with me. Because <laughs> I know you will. She calls out good hunting to you as she leaves, as you, as you, your group departs. 